listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Not long before the Lord took Elijah up into heaven in a strong wind, Elijah and Elisha were leaving Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, The Lord wants me to go to Bethel, but you must stay here. Elisha replied, I swear by the living Lord and by your own life that I will stay with you no matter what. And he went with Elijah to Bethel. A group of prophets who lived there asked Elisha, Do you know that today the Lord is going to take away your master? Yes, I do, Elisha answered, but don't remind me of it. Elijah then said, Elisha, now the Lord wants me to go to Jericho, but you must stay here. Elisha replied, I swear by the living Lord and by your own life that I will stay with you no matter what. And he went with Elijah to Jericho. A group of prophets who lived there asked Elijah, Do you know that today the Lord is going to take away your master? Yes, I do, Elisha answered, but don't remind me of it. Elijah then said to Elisha, Now the Lord wants me to go to the Jordan River, but you must stay here. Elisha replied, I swear by the living Lord and by your own life that I will never leave you. So the two of them walked on together. Fifty prophets followed Elijah and Elisha from Jericho, then stood at a distance and watched as the two men walked towards the river. When they got there, Elijah took off his coat, then he rolled it up and struck the water with it. At once, a path opened up through the river, and the two of them walked across it on dry ground. After they had reached the other side, Elijah said, Elisha, the Lord will soon take me away. What can I do for you before that happens? Elisha answered, Please, give me twice as much of your power as you give the other prophets, so I can be the one who takes your place as their leader. It won't be easy, Elijah answered. It can happen only if you see me as I am being taken away. Elijah and Elisha were walking along and talking, when suddenly there appeared between them a flaming chariot pulled by fiery horses. Right away, a strong wind took Elijah up into heaven. Elisha saw this and shouted, Israel's cavalry and chariots have taken my master away. After Elijah had gone, Elisha tore his clothes in sorrow. Elisha's coat had fallen off, so Elisha picked it up and walked back to the Jordan River. He struck the water with the coat and wondered, Will the Lord perform miracles for me as he did for Elijah? As soon as Elisha did this, a dry path opened up through the water, and he walked across. When the prophets from Jericho saw what happened, they said to each other, Elisha now has Elijah's power. They walked over to him and bowed down. Um, I'm going to get to this this story in just a second, but I I wanted to say that today on the church calendar is uh, Transfiguration Sunday. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have this really interesting story about Jesus going up onto a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and he's kind of transfigured into a form of light. It's a a bizarre story, uh, and we don't really do much with it, particularly uh, here in the West. Um, 
Eastern Christianity often does focus on the transfiguration, but uh, it seems to not kind of come into many sermons or even conversations. Like, what would you do with such a bizarre story that Jesus somehow was transformed into this figure of light? Like, how does that, how, how, how are you supposed to, what are you supposed to do with that story? I mean, calming a sea, you know, if you're out on the sea and Jesus calms the storm, well, that, that makes sense. You don't want to drown. Or feeding the people, multiplying the bread, that makes sense because you don't want to go hungry. Or healing the sick or, or delivering the captive, you know, in an exorcism. I mean, all of that makes, makes so much sense for what the Lord is doing. Like, what in the world is that story? So, I think it is quite important. Um, it ends this season of Epiphany. This idea of a revelation of who God is. And it opens with, Epiphany opens with the baptism of Jesus. And Jesus is revealed to be none other than the the beloved Son of God. And it ends with this kind of transfiguration of Jesus. And we get get a, a bit of insight into kind of the real identity of this person that the disciples had been following. But again, we'll we'll come back to that at the end. This uh, passage of the transfiguration in Mark's gospel gets paired in the the lectionary by the church with this story of Elijah and Elisha. I love this story. It's one of my favorites, actually. And it, it too, is bizarre, but I I think a lot's going on here. So in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Kings was considered one story. So I know in our Bibles, it's like 1 Kings and 2 Kings. For a while, um, during Jesus' day actually, the the book of Kings had been translated from the Hebrew into the Greek and it was in four sections. So they had had 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 3 Kings, and 4 Kings. But still, it's all just one story. And again, in the Hebrew Bible, it's one book. And it starts with Solomon and it ends with uh, Zedekiah or whoever the last king of Judah was. I'm, I'm guessing actually just a minute there. I kind of forgot that guy's name. But it's, it's a story really of tragedy because that starts with one powerful king who had inherited a, a, a pretty large kingdom from his father and it just grew. It, it, you know, Solomon inherits it from David and it grows in every way. Geographically, it grows. Economically, it grows. In military strength, it grows in terms of reputation with the other kingdoms and nations that are around it, it grows. So everything is is good at the beginning. Like God's promise to Abraham that he would bless his children and from them he would make a nation and through that nation he would bless the world. All of that seems to be working out exactly the way they might have hoped. So, So Kings, First Kings, as we would call it, chapter one, starts great. But it kind of falls apart and gradually gets worse and worse and worse. The, the various kings or their, even their dynasties, if, if several, you know, a son and then the grandson and then the great-grandson get to serve for a while, things fall apart. And it's not just because they fall apart politically or economically. Uh, it's because they fall apart spiritually. They, they don't follow the Lord. They, they, they do other things. They worship other gods. And that really started with Solomon, actually. You know, he, he married all of, these, all of these many, 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 many women, right? 300 wives, which, I mean, that alone should have told us this isn't going to go good, right? 
Like, that can't be a good idea. So, of course, they, they brought their own religions with them from, from whatever country they were from. One of them was actually Pharaoh's daughter. So she brings with her the worship of the Egyptian gods and, and things to just deteriorate and deteriorate. And then God comes and there's judgment and there's not much repentance despite the judgment. And so there's a few revivals here and there, one with Josiah, one with Hezekiah. But mostly, again, it's kind of a story of a downward trend. And if I had to, if I had to list what the book of Kings is like, I would definitely call it a tragedy. But there's another story, and it's not the story of the kings, really, but it's the story of the prophets. And if you're, if you're reading kings, like what we call first and second again, if you're reading it as one long story, the midpoint is 2 Kings chapter 2. And that's the story of Elijah and Elisha. Because unlike the kings, which is a story of ever-decreasing levels of succession, the prophets are another story altogether. The prophets are a story of ever-increasing amount of success. That is, success measured by whether or not the, the presence of God continues to be in the community, whether or not the voice of God continues to be heard. And so Elijah will have Elisha, as we see, as his kind of mentor who kind of carries on his, his ministry. And Elisha will have then this whole kind of crowd, this big school of prophets that will carry on the ministry. And so this story is just that, right? It's the story of, of, of success. And, I, and I, I use that word kind of on, with a, like a uh, double entendre. It's a play on words. It's succession, right? Meaning passing from one uh, group to the next or one generation to the next. And then it's also like success, like it's working. And so there's this very interesting part of this story that I just find uh, fascinating. So Elijah, who, whose life has been marked by lots of powerful things, which were highlighted in the video, but it's interesting that those powerful things never actually did much good. Like, God worked through Elijah, but uh, Elijah often found himself kind of destitute. Like, we know the story of Elijah with his, his uh, competition with the prophets of Baal. Like, they both, they both build altars on Mount Carmel, and we're going to see whose God is the real God, Yahweh or Baal. And so the, the prophets of Baal try and get, you know, a, the, the sacrifice to burn, but they can't get the fire started. And, and uh, Elijah's over there just trash-talking, a little, a little Daniel Terry-esque, perhaps, right? It's like, hey, maybe, you're, maybe your God's asleep. You know, they're trying to get the fire started and it won't go. And he's like, he actually says this. He's like, well, maybe your God's gone to the bathroom, <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's awful, right? Like, what, what are you doing? And then, and then Elijah's like, okay, let me, let me show you boys how this should be done. Like, this is, this is how a, a real prophet, you know, works when he's serving a real God. And he douses his altar with water, which, of course, you think that's a horrible thing to do when you're going to try and start a fire. And then he's got all this water on it. It's waterlogged. And he digs a ditch around it and fills it up with water. And then he's like, God, do your stuff. And fire comes from heaven. And it, it consumes the sacrifice and the altar and the water. 
And, you know, you get that powerful story. But it doesn't seem to have any effect. Like, he, he ends up getting in a fight with the other prophets and kills a bunch of them. But everybody else continues to worship Baal. It's not like those people don't, don't repent or turn because of Elijah's activity. And Elijah's own activity after that, it's not like he's pumped after it. He's scared to death. Like he's on the run. He's trying to get away from Ahab and Jezebel. He runs out in the desert and like, oh no, they're going to kill me. And then he runs yet again to Mount, Mount Horeb and he's like, God, I'm the only one who'll serve you. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, I, I got 7,000 more. Got 7,000 more just like you, buddy. But it's going to be okay because I'm with you. You know, and that's, that's the story where, you know, God, there's a whirlwind, but God's not in it. And there's an earthquake, but God's not in it. And he goes out on the edge of the cliff and he says he hears this kind of still small voice and that's where God is but even that it's not Elijah it's not like Elijah really kind of gets it at that point so so he he has his own struggles he's he's a complicated character and when it does come time for him to kind of mentor when it comes time for him to kind of pass the faith along it's not as though it's, it works for him initially. Like, even there he makes a lot of mistakes. Like, every time, and this, this was great in the video, he's like, once, once he's kind of tapped uh, Elisha to be his successor, he's like, okay, bud, you stay here. I got to go down to Bethel. And, and Elisha's like, no way. Where you go, I go. And Elijah's like, well, all right. And so they go to Bethel, and, and you know, they, they stay together. Then uh, Elijah's like, all right, you stay here. I got to go down to Jericho. And he goes, no, no. I, where you go, I go. Like, we're together. Like, I'm, my commitment is to you. And, and Elijah concedes again. And then he's like, okay, <laughs> this is the end. So you stay here in Jericho. I'm going to go to the other side of Jordan. And, and Elisha, this is like the third time in the story, right? He's like, no. Like, where would I go? Why would I stay here? I'm going to be with you. And, of course, he, he goes with them. And then, and then uh, this is one part of the video that I thought might, might have missed the main point. When Elijah does say, you know, um, what can I do for you? Uh, his, his response to Elisha's request that, you know, to receive the double portion, which I don't, I don't think that's the main point here. But what's interesting is, is that Elijah at that point says, I tell you what, if you just stay with me, you'll get what you ask for. If you just stay with me, you'll get what you ask for. I mean, what could have Elisha possibly have thought at that point? What do you mean if I just stay with you? Like, I'm the one who's been committed to staying with you all this time. You kept trying to leave me behind, and I kept saying, no, 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 I'm going to be with you. And you kept, you tried to leave me behind again, and I said, no, I'm going to be with you. And you left me behind again, and I said, no, I'm going to be with you. And so now what you're saying is, I should just stay with you? 
Got it. <laughs> Where'd you come up with that idea? <laughs> That's a wonderful idea, right? And of course, he stays with him, and it does work out. This is a, this is a classic story, really. It's a, it's a story that's perennial. It comes around again and again, right? We sing about it again in tragedies like Cats in the Cradle where all, all the child wants is to be like the parent, but the parent just doesn't have time for the child. And that happens again and again and again until at some point you know, in the story, the parent's like, wow, man, child's a cool adult. I would like to be with them. And the child is too busy and doesn't have time. The child's been trained, right? The child's been trained how to behave. The child's been formed into that. In some ways, the child got the wish that they became like the parent, except they became like a parent that was already broken. The, the end of the Old Testament, um, our English Old Testament in Malachi, ends with, look, when God comes, he turns the hearts of the children towards the parents and the hearts of the parents towards their children. The gospel is a gospel of reconciliation. This is not us versus them. This is us for them. God doesn't save us from the world. God saves us for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you see the direction of how this works? A few weeks ago, we presented that kind of gospel in chairs. And in it, hopefully part of what you took away from that is, is God is constantly pursuing us. Even when we turn away from God, God's maneuvering to kind of come back face to face with us. What the kings can't quite ever comprehend because they're trying to build their own kingdom is that you can't pass something on to the next group unless you focus on the next group. That's why kings can't really produce children. They just produce protégés, not children. Children kind of do their own thing. They walk their own path. And the story of the prophets is that there was always space for them. When Elisha got old, that great group of, of prophets, that kind of, kind of school of prophets, it, it's sometimes referred to as, comes to him and says, hey, our house is too small. And he's like, well, I bless you. Go and build. And they're all just hanging around. He said, I said, I bless you. Go and build. They're deaf. And they just all stood around. And he's like, I don't understand what you're doing. Go, build, it's good. And they said, no, Father. We're waiting on you. Because they wanted, in their youth, the same thing Elisha wanted in his. More than it is to kind of accumulate things or to have stuff or status. It's to be with. Like the healing of the generations is, is an essential part of this story that it's groups being brought together. We've, we've often got this wrong. We've thought that 
that it's, you know, because God is just, that judgment is this kind of high priority when James tells us that, that mercy uh, overcomes judgment. Or that, you know, following the rules is, is exactly what we have to do, but, but sometimes if we elevate the rule over the people, right, then it breaks down. As, as Samuel will say, obedience is better than sacrifice. It's people over status. It's submission is, is better than subscription. You can subscribe to all you want to in terms of you know what's right. But until you're willing to kind of submit and, and sacrifice and give, you'll never really know what this is about. And this is exactly what I think is going on in the transfiguration story. In Mark's gospel, and, and this year we've been following Mark in, in Epiphany, the lectionary has, and so have we. It's in Mark chapter 9, and the previous story is a real culmination of things. In the, in the previous story is uh, Peter, or Jesus saying to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and says, or no, excuse me. Jesus will ask the disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter will speak up and say, well, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. And that's, that's kind of for a different sermon. But Jesus then says, well, who do you say that I am? And again, Peter speaks up for the group and he says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, and the son of man must die and three days later be risen up. And at least in Mark's version of the story, you don't get Peter's you know, rebuke of that. You, they just seem to be confused. The very next story is the story of this transfiguration. Jesus goes up on a mountain and Peter, James, and John are with him. And Jesus is transformed into like a figure of light. I don't even know what that means. But it says that Peter, James, and John see with Jesus Moses and, wouldn't you know it, Elijah. And, and Peter seems once again to be confused. He's like, uh, <laughs> what should we do, Lord? Build three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. A voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son. Obey him. And that way, this story is connected with the beginning of Epiphany, right? It starts with the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus hears a voice from heaven, you are my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. And now at the end, at the transfiguration, again, a voice from the cloud says, this is my son, obey him. But the beautiful part of this for me is that Jesus doesn't stay transfigured. When Peter's down there kind of wallowing almost in his ignorance, not sure what to do. And just, just so you know, I'm not being like too hard here on Peter the text says, after he said that, you know, should we build these three buildings? The text actually says, uh, Peter didn't know what to say. <laughs> like, I think that's a great parenthetical comment. Like, don't, don't follow Peter's example here. He didn't know what to say. <laughs> like, he didn't know what was going on. And I don't blame Peter for that. I wouldn't have known what was going on either. Peter didn't know what to say. So Jesus 
whatever, they look and the other two are gone and Jesus looks normal. And he's like, all right, fellas, let's go. Let's go find the others. What I, what I think is happening, two, two big things that I think are happening here. One, there is a bit of an epiphany, a revelation that how this is going to all end, that those who have died are somehow going to be alive, Moses and Elijah, that Jesus, although he has already predicted his death, is something more, something other, something greater. And all of that, of course, is good news. But I think the best news, the best part of the good news in this story is that Jesus wants to be with his disciples. He doesn't look to hold on to that transfigured state. He seems to so easily just kind of let that go and say, all right, guys, it's all right. I understand that you don't understand everything. Peter, you especially seem to say a bunch of weird stuff. It'll be all right, buddy. Let's go find the others. That God wants to be with us. Like this is, this is the story of creation. How should we understand creation? That, that God didn't want to be alone. How, should, how can we understand the story of salvation? That God doesn't want to be God without us. That, that God is committed to being with us much the same way that Elisha was committed to being with Elijah. Or the school of the prophets were committed to being with Elisha. That can be a little confusing because those names are so, so similar. But it is, it is, the, it is the story uh, of us. It is the gospel truth that God loves you and wants to be with you. And wants to transform you into the type of people who love and want to be with others. Now, to me that resonates beautifully, particularly because I think I'm, a, I'm an extrovert. And who's to say how long it's going to take me to overcome this COVID quarantine, right? The isolation and the quarantine is, is I think, particularly hard on, on those of us who kind of live off of, you know, personal contact. But I think the other side can also be true, that, that an introvert who is happy to, you know, get charged up and have some alone time and, and you know, center and re refine themselves, still kind of longs for relationships, for commitment, for, for times together. And when we come to the table... It is a time of being with God and a time for being with one another. It's a time of reflection on the past, what God has done. And it's a time of hope in the future for what God might still do. And, it's, and it's, that, I think, is the, is the gospel that 
is revealed in this epiphany season. And so my prayer for us is that we would have those hearts in either direction. You know, whether it's just a stranger or the other, or whether it's somebody of a different political party or, you know, somebody like Daniel Terry even, right, who boasts about his, his fantasy football success. I'm only partially joking there. <laughs> but whether it's generational, right, so we all have kind of a generation above us, and we all have a generation that we're in, and we all have a generation below us. Like, we all experience that at any point in our lives. I mean, maybe the youngest, youngest of us have yet to experience a generation below them yet. But they will, right? But, but the rest of us, right, have all those, you know, our contemporaries, the ones who are coming along after us, the ones who have gone before us. And, of course, there's God, So again, my, my hope, my prayer is that this day, this week, as we kind of end um, Epiphany and we get ready to start Lent, that we'll do it together. That our commitment to each other, to Oasis, will be one that can be strengthened. And that you'll you'll see whether it's the practice of the table or whether it's just living the life of faith, that it's, it's not about just being right. It's not about just being strong. It's not about having status. It's always people, relationship, right? Submission over subscription. Mercy over sacrifice or over judgment and obedience over sacrifice. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.